Well, hey, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Green Divas radio show. I'm your host, Green Diva Meg, for the next almost hour. And I don't know about where you are, but it's like, it's so February. You know, it's sort of a love-hate thing going on. Got past the Valentine's Day thing. For some people, it's, uh, you know, a big deal. And for others, it's, you know, a dreadful ordeal. Anyway, I wrote a little haiku about February because I I was like, uh... So here it goes. February sucks, except that it's my birthday, which kind of sucks too. (laughs) A haiku by Green Diva Meg. Well, you know, birthdays just aren't what they used to be. I'm just saying... So, before I launch into the wonderful list of cool things you're going to hear in the next hour almost, I wanted to just let you know what's on thegreendivas.com right now. Uh, Featured, uh, Dr. Karen Lee's 25 Ways to Eat More Sustainably. You know, some of which seems obvious and some just really good reminders and some ideas that maybe you haven't thought of. Lisa Berez uh, does a post about using plants to improve indoor air quality. It's amazing how helpful plants can be, especially in the winter, for those of us that are really kind of sealed up and trying to be warm. Uh, I did my own post about having a simple, sustainable, and sweet Valentine's Day. Yes, Valentine's Day has passed, but there's still some good ideas that you may want to consider incorporating anytime, whether you are partnered up or solo. Okay, so this week's show. Our feature is with John Whalen, who is the producer of a film called Stink, a powerful love letter and tribute to his wife, who died of cancer, and his young daughters, who he is trying to keep safe in this crazy, toxic world. It's a very well done Uh, documentary about not only the toxins that we smell, um, you know, so much of the scents, you know, the vanilla or the cherry or the wild berry breeze, whatever it is we think we're smelling, much of it is chemically induced, not real, and probably not healthy. Many carcinogenic toxins are in those scents. So anyway, I highly recommend listening to that and also going to see the film. Green Dude John St. Augustine calls in with a great rant about human denial and how we forget, how forgetful we are as a species, actually. Um, It's relevant. I hope you get to listen. Uh, Greenpeace, Green Divas, and Dudes, Hannah Mitchell, the field coordinator of Greenpeace in North Carolina, talks about the Repower Our Schools Coalition initiative that has two school districts, listen to me, two school districts in North Carolina going solar and 100% renewable energy now. Not in the future, now. Very cool stuff. Uh, Green Divas at home from a recent visit we had in the Green Diva studio with Dr. Karen Lee, who gives us some great tips for cleaning up our laundry act and making it greener. So I hope you will listen to the show Learn a bit, enjoy, chuckle, whatever, share it up. And in the meantime, please, you know, let's interact out there in the social media world, folks, at The Green Divas on Twitter and Instagram, at Green Diva Meg for me personally, also on Twitter 
and Instagram. Find us on Facebook, The Green Divas Radio Show, and also Green Diva Mag. I look forward to interacting with you and having some fun out there. Let's make it a better planet while we're at it, right? Sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the show. Every Green Diva needs a sidekick. At The Green Divas Radio Show, they're called Green Dudes. Time now for a deeper shade of green from a guy's perspective. Well, I haven't talked to this awesome green dude in a while. John St. Augustine is a radio personality that we admire a great deal, among other things. He is the um, the creator and executive producer of Earth Matters. Yes, the very Earth Matters with Bill Curtis, the voice that you hear on our show every week with great information and insight. He's also the creator and host of Life Matters, which is heard on CBS's Play.it. Hi, John. Hey, it's so good to be back with you, and I just admire the heck out of what you do there, so it's all good, and I and I, I think that Obviously, I'm in a, I have a penchant for things that matter. Life matters, earth matters. They're all kind of connected. So it all matters. Boring, yes, but and predictable maybe, but uh, always keeps me hopping. I love it. So you had some kind of rant you thought we would get into this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, here's the thing. So the older I get, the really, especially being in talk radio 20 years, I've heard it all or said it all, and so I don't really – I'm not concerned anymore about whether I kind of tiptoe around the edges of things. I'm running out of time. We all are in some way, shape, or form. Right. And I was, and I, and I really try to stay away from anything political because I find zero change there. Yeah. And if it is, does come, it's very slow. So I'm more about personal change and 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 being responsive rather than reactive. But even I, when I get zen-like as I can. <laughs> Something will come along and torque my bolts, and I just I can't help myself. So I, I noticed a couple of things, Mike. <laughs> One is that um, through all this uh, gnashing of teeth as we get ready for the big election in November, right. uh, I've heard nothing about the environment. Nothing. No. Nothing. Everything is about who said what, who did what to who the neighbor's cat, and the usual antics. And I, <laughs> I said before, you know, every four years the circus comes to town, the clowns just get sillier and bigger and louder and, and, and more ridiculous unfortunately, every four years. And somewhere in the middle of all this, we're supposed to figure out America, right? Or the world. Yeah, right. So it gets right. very difficult. So uh, the number one thing is that I'm hearing nothing about the planet. Yeah. And the second thing is, when I do hear something click through, it's usually from a, a group of people that still insist, still insist that there's no way that the Lilliputian humans could ever do anything to the planet because it's been around 4.65 billion years. And ruin it because it's the planet, and we'd be arrogant to think we can do damage to it. And to that, I say a word that you won't use on the air. <laughs> and I would on my other show, but I won't do it on yours. And here's so here's the thing with those two pieces. Um, you can go on Google this up the wazoo. You can do the eight most worst man-made disasters, the thirteen human-caused environmental disasters, twenty-five hundred. From Exxon Valdez to Love Canal, you name it, it's all there. It's, it's there. And what's happened to us, I think, as a species, when all this rhetoric starts flying around, is we lose our memory and we replace it with a forgettery. Yeah. And we forget. Well, we forget all these things, and, and then when it all kind of dies back down again, we go, oh, all these problems are still here. So what I, I really make every attempt to do with Earth Matters 
is to come up with information that can lead to transformation, but the transformation is not going to come from Congress because that's not going to happen. Right. And if the president has some ideas to get things done, he's got to use executive orders, and that takes a long time. So all of this stuff, what I, what I attempt to do to get information to people that you, you have on your show that we air uh, and that Bill does the voiceover for is to get to people and say, you need to start looking at it this way, or maybe we can look at it this way. And then when you do that and you remind people of what we've you know, forgotten and you shake their memory a little bit, you go, oh, yeah, I remember I was around when the, when the river was on fire. The Cuyahoga River was on fire in Ohio. Right, right. Oh, yeah, I remember when the Exxon Valdez ran aground, and the reason it spilled all that oil is because they were too cheap to buy double-held tankers. Right. And you start coming down a list of things we've already done. And so to me, if I was a trial attorney, and maybe I should have been, yeah. but if I was a trial attorney, <laughs> I would say, look at this overwhelming evidence that humans, even though it's not always intentional, but some of the time it is for greed, we have an impact on the planet all the time. And the cumulative, the cumulative effect of all those things makes other things happen. It's a ripple effect. So I was using the analogy the other day about being in fifth grade class, fifth grade science class, and okay. we had a terrarium in there. Oh, yeah. I and remember you, that. Remember you had a little lizard, yeah. a salamander, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Fun thing, you know, and, and then each row each week gets to take care of the, the terrarium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I remember when it was our row's turn to take care of the terrarium, I think the salamander had died. <laughs> and the reason the salamander had died is because the row before us the week before didn't do what they were supposed to do to clean it. Yeah. And it died. And so basically the terrarium is a biosphere. Everything that's contained in the terrarium, the, the salamander, the water, the sand, the plants, all, it's a little all that has microcosm. to be in order. Yeah, it's a little What's microcosm. That? It's a little microcosm, sure. right? That all has to be in order or it doesn't work. So we think, and that's not the people who listen to your show, obviously the people that, that you know are thinking, but there's this misconception that somehow, well, it's so big we can't break it. Wrong. The well, same rules apply to the terrarium in fifth grade science class to the biosphere we live in as a planet. It's just a bigger terrarium, so it takes more to get it done. So I look at these things. And I stand back and I kind of watch it and I think, man, we are, it's our Achilles heel, this denial thing. Yeah. And yeah. so many of us, am I ranting enough for you? Because I'm getting yeah, kind of Yeah, no, no, this is good. And it's like the good, denial good. lane, just a river in Egypt kind of thing. Well, but, sure. And, you know, you're, you know, there, there's, there's a, a, there has been a bit of a change when it comes to the religious posture of maybe we need to take care of the planet more. The Pope France has done a great job, you know, standing up to that and, and putting that out there. But you're trying to offset, you know, uh, 2,000 years of uh, subdue the planet and, right. and uh, give, you're given dominion over everything, and you can't give dominion to people who don't know how to stop at a stop sign <laughs> and admit it, that they roll through <laughs> it. It just doesn't work. Well, so yeah. It's an op. It's, yeah. Now, here's my, here's my thought on, on, on the rant. Here's my two cents for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. And that is that, you know, we're not going to probably – kill the planet i mean we're met we're, me- we're messing up the resources that we need to survive Correct. on this planet yeah. the planet yeah, be- the planet will shake us off and say Correct. damn good glad we got rid of those little nasty humans yeah. now we can you know that little infestation of humans and and the earth will heal herself i don't know about you but you look at a road that or a parking lot that's been abandoned for even a year 
and you see, yeah, you know, all these these weeds busting through, and you think, wow. I mean, you know, you see that in two years, five years, ten years, and you know, Mama Nature takes it back. Correct. And uh, you know what we're doing, however, is spoiling the resources that we need right. to survive here, and it's the humans that are going to go, probably not the Earth. I agree with you, and that was kind of the, the last part of all this. We're the we're the salamander. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and and we can't even see it. You know, the salamander didn't know he was going because you know, right? Salamander didn't know, and we know <laughs> on some level that this is not good, and yet we kind of still do it anyway. So that's the last part of this whole thing: is that we the, the absurdity that somehow we could break the planet is what's preventing us from keeping it clean enough to survive as a species. Every, we only been around about 250,000 years in our present form, give or take, and depends who you talk to. Right. And much like we think we're going to live forever because we're not in the obituary page today, we assume that because we're here now, we'll always be here. And then you look back and get out of our forgettery and get into yeah. our memory and go, oh, you mean the dinosaurs ruled for, you know, 400 billion years? You look at all these things and you realize it's just a cycle that we're in, that we're the quote, dominant species at the time, but you're 100% correct. And that's the thing that I have such a difficult time with. These are very basic, simple um, truths. Yeah. You don't even have to agree with them. Right, right, right. You know? Yeah, it's and pretty When I was in 58 class, nobody, the, the salamander was dead. Yeah. Nobody thought, <laughs> oh, well, poor you know, Sally. Sure? Poor yeah, Sally the salamander. So, the, you know, the basics of this is I go along, I see less and less is going to come from above, and it's going to have to come from within. And that each of us, in some way, shape, or form, can do something somewhere. Even little stuff in your backyard. You know, if we start looking at this little plot of land here in Chicago, uh, you know, our front yard is everything. Oh, yeah. you know, we'll spend a fortune making it look right. <laughs> and you realize what it costs to do that. Yeah. yeah. And then how other ways that you can do it. I know you all do shows on, you know, using non-toxic uh, uh, fertilizers yeah. and things like that. So. You can do something. And yeah, you may not be able to change the entire climate tomorrow, but you can do something where you live to not contribute to it. Well, and I think that's where people get stuck. And there is no doubt that if everybody does something, you know, and, and, and pays a little bit more attention that those, you know, the accumulation, uh, the yeah. cumulative effect of all those actions does begin to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, we've proven that when again, I write again. The, when I, yeah when I write the earth matters I, I and I think I said it on the air the other day it's depressing yeah. however however I always have one out of the bunch of five or ten whatever I'm doing two to one or two of those that I try to find something that's working and I was I was I was heartened to see a couple things that you know countries that really can't get along on a lot of things like the United States and China you know in, in Paris they've agreed to do something they, there yeah. are there are actions being taken is it too late I have no idea but it is good to see things, steps being taken as much as other people push against it. Well, but in a, in, in the best one for me was in the rainforest in South Africa, uh, through awareness, uh, uh, campaigning, whatever, uh, palm oil, which is a huge export for them, mm. they've decided to create it synthetically, which has almost all the same properties of palm oil, because they've basically forested all the palm oil, they, you know, they've eradicated it. So in order to replenish it, they have to stop what they're doing. In like 40 years, they wiped out 90% of what they had to use because the demand was so high. So now they're figuring out ways to do it synthetically. They stopped chopping down the rainforest in certain places, and they're going to let it come back naturally. Now, 
should have done it 20 years ago, didn't, but at least it's changing now. Yeah, exactly. Well, there are, we do try to, we present problems all the time, you know, environmental and sustainability problems all the time and challenges, but we always try to back that up with an action or something you can right. do or solution. Right. Otherwise, you're just whining. Yeah, well, there is such a thing as climate depression, and that, of course, will be another sure. another uh, rant for us. Yep. <laughs> well, Perfect. J- John, it's so good to talk to you, and I love your rants. Keep ranting. And how can people find out more about your your other shows? Well, the best way to do it, you know, connecting with me on Facebook is the easiest because everybody and their brother and their sister apparently is on there. <laughs> and uh, they could do it there or johnstaynaugustine.com. All the information that you need to know is there. Uh, but if you go to play.it and you just look up my show, Life Matters, it's there as well. Great. Thank you so much, John. You're welcome. Thanks, Meg. Want more information on this Green Dude segment and other ideas for low-stress green living? Go to thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. Looking for low-stress ways to create a healthier, non-toxic environment in your home? The Green Divas make it fun and easy with useful information for making a beautiful and eco-friendly Green Diva home. All right, so we're talking at home again on how to have a non-toxic, healthy home with Dr. Karen Lee. Hi, Karen. Hello, Green Diva Meg. <laughs> Eco Karen, she'll always be to me. But she's also, you know, a healthcare uh, provider, a chiropractor and nutritionist, right? Mm-hmm. So, but one of the things where she, you know, used to always get my attention was these fabulous non-toxic and natural uh, remedies for the home, if you will, right? Or making making your own DIY stuff for kitchen, bathroom, laundry. Because that all affect how our right. health is. Because, you know, we spend so much time indoors. Well, Sometimes indoor health could be, you know, worse yeah, than outdoor. Our indoor environment, right? Yeah. And, and she makes it so easy and fun. So today we're going to talk about laundry. Our favorite activity, right? Yeah, well, not really, but, you know, <laughs> it's not the worst thing in the world. But uh, let me tell you, my least um, least ac- least favorite activity is cleaning my front-loading washing machine. Now, you see, might- I don't have one, so I don't oh, I got an oh. old-fashioned, very old-fashioned top the, loader. The top loader? Well, you're lucky and, and you're unlucky yeah. <laughs> because the front loader, I mean, I bought my front loader because it just looked so, you know, sexy. sexy. Yeah. <laughs> We're on the same page, no, right? I know, we are. But, I mean, you know, it saves energy, it saves water, and it's, you know, all of that. And it looks cool, and it looks chic and all that. But I found out that after about a month of using it, my clothes started to smell yucky. Oh, no. no and I not, didn't know what it was. That and laundry I, mold is the worst. I didn't know it was mold. Yeah. I, you know, because you can't see mold. Right. Number one, you can't see yeah, mold. Right. Mold spores right. are invisible. It's, that's, you know, that's where it gets really Little bastards. <laughs> so, but when I, you know, when I smelled really gross, like it's worse than I, before I washed it smell, yeah. I said, what is this? And um, I researched, searched everywhere, called the appliance company, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, like you said, there was mold. 
And where it was growing was the the gasket, you know, the front. Yeah, it's the rubber gasket in front, you know, um, around the opening. And it's really hard to... To pull it away yes. to see it, but once you once you do that, you'll see how disgusting it is. So I wrote how to clean your. So it sounds so funny. I, I remember seeing this. Yeah, it was wildly popular. Too. I mean, it's 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 a ludicrous concept to clean your washing machine, but that's what you got to do. You uh, know, you got to do that. You got to maintain it basically, just like anything else. You got to maintain your front loading washing machine, and the key is to use um, powder detergent. Oh, and what I started to do was to use powder detergent that I create at home mm-hmm. instead of using commercial detergents. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't use liquid detergents at all. And I know a lot of people make their own um, washing machine detergents, but they liquefy it. Okay. That defeats the purpose for front loading because oh, what happens okay. is that it just, you know, it just coats the drums. It coats everything, the yeah. rubber gasket and everything. Oh, so uh, okay. it's not it's not a good idea. So gotcha. I have a post. It's a, it's a long post because there are several steps involved. So they can um, – your readers can uh, check it out. It's on not, I read that one because yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. It's important though because you're going to get mold all yeah. over your clothes yeah. and it's, it's not healthy. No. Uh, it's definitely not healthy. And yeah. the other thing I do is, is to try to um, – not use like dryer sheets right. and fabric softeners, yeah. which are really not just toxic, not just healthy. I mean, uh, not good for the machines, but it's also not healthy for you. Yeah, yeah um, they're pretty bad. Yeah. So, and and also the you know dryer sheets. Uh, actually, the the chemicals get collected on the screens of the dryers, and yeah. it clogs the dryer. You know, the holes on the screen, and it doesn't make the machines function, you know, as efficiently. Right. So what I started to do was to make my own dryer balls. I can't wait to try this. (laughs) And I've been meaning to do it, and now I'm feeling inspired. Well, you know how your your dryer eats up your socks, and you're always losing? (laughs) I know. Yeah, it gets lost somewhere in there. What's up with that? Yeah, well, there's some kind of a mysterious hole in your dryer. So so I'm left with all these orphan socks. So what I ended up doing was I cut the tubes off. And I fill it with flax seeds and lavender flowers. Now, the do these have to lavender. be wool? No. Okay. It doesn't have to be wool. But if it, if if they're wool, it's okay. If it, I mean, I guess it would be better. But I don't know how many people really use wool socks I, I can't socks wear them because day. I'm like allergic to wool anyway. Yeah, a lot so of people are. So, it does, yeah. no, they don't have to be wool socks. Okay. It could be cotton socks or any socks you have. Okay. You know, tube okay. socks, sports socks. Gotcha. But you know how the long tube area mm-hmm. you can sometimes you can make two or three out of these mm. long sports socks right <laughs> so you cut them off you fill it with lavender dry lavender and uh, flax probably about half and half to make okay. it a little bit weighty you know oh. that's why i add flax seeds yeah. to it yeah. and then just sew the ends you can i just put it through the sewing machine it doesn't have to be pretty um make it kind of heavy and 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 like a you know like a ball size i guess yeah. and um throw a few in the dryer Really? And it'll just tumble with your clothes. Um, it'll make your clothes smell nice oh and lavender yeah. And I've got a lot of lavender down there. In the yeah. Garden. And um, and you can it can make your, your, your clothes smell nice. And it actually makes it softer, I think. And I think it takes off the wrinkles better. Wow. So, um, and if I heard that some people put um, clothespins on some of these things to make it anti-staticky. Interesting. But my clothes are all cotton. I don't wear polyesters yeah. or nylons, yeah. like which makes all the statics, right? Yeah, yeah. Cottons, you don't get that much static. So mm-hmm. I, I never had problems with okay. static. But that's that's one wow. non-toxic way of uh, 
of making well, your laundry. Well, those are two really cool. And I know you also do have a recipe somewhere on your site. Yes, I do. Dr. Karen S. Lee for uh, homemade detergent. Yes, I do. So, um, and borax-free. And borax-free. So yeah. you're going to also probably share a post with the Green Divas to go with this podcast. But I'll in the, the meantime, yeah. people can go to drkarenslee.com. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Meg. Find out more about this Green Divas at Home segment and lots of other great low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. Greetings, everyone. This is David Avocado Wolf, nutritionist, author, and chocolatier. And you're listening to The Green Divas. Listen close, tune in, and have the best day ever. As more people begin to look for alternative energy sources, it might just be that the Earth itself could hold the answer to heating and cooling our homes. More after this. Everyone wants to be a part of the green movement, and that's a great thing. Going green takes on a whole new meaning when you add tall grass beef to your family's dinner table. It's tender and juicy, and since the cattle graze on the natural grasslands of Kansas, it's also loaded with essential fatty acids and omega-3s that regular grain-fed beef lacks. It's good for you and your family and good for the earth. For more information and to order tall grass beef online, go to www.tallgrassbeef.com. The Earth is approximately four and a half billion years old, and in some respects is really like a furnace with a molten core temperature estimate of 7,000 degrees that keeps the planet warm. The heat radiates up towards the surface and produces geothermal energy that can be captured by the use of a pump that is efficient and saves money in the long run. As studies have shown that it can provide the lowest utility bills of any residential system available. In winter, the pump can produce up to $5 of heat for every dollar spent on electricity to run it. And during summer in cooling mode, it has an energy efficiency ratio higher than the best central air conditioners. Further proof that Earth matters. I'm Bill Curtis. Care about the environment and social justice? Stay tuned as Green Divas and Green Dudes from Greenpeace, you know, those folks on the front lines of environmental activism, report on the hottest eco-issues and ways you can take action. All right, another episode of Greenpeace, Green Dudes, and Green Divas, Green Divas and Green Dudes, everybody, hello. Um, today we're going to talk with Hannah Mitchell, who is field organizer of Greenpeace USA in Charlotte, North Carolina. And there are some really wonderful things going on there in terms of renewable energy, specifically solar energy, in a couple of school districts, which... I think we all can learn from. Hi, Hannah. Hello. Thank you for having me here. Yeah. So you've been very busy, and I'm not even sure exactly what your role is in this. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what we're going to talk about? Absolutely. 
Um, so as a food organizer for Greenpeace in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, one of my main projects is working on a coalition effort to transition uh, to public school systems to meet their electricity needs with 100% renewable energy. Um, wow. And wait, as, wait. Just and, let's just stop there. 100% renewable energy for a school district. That's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's really, really exciting. Um, you know, nationally, we are on the cusp of the renewable energy revolution. We've seen prices of solar just plummet in recent years and have had many um, cities across the country commit to 100% renewable energy, including the state of Hawaii and yeah. Burlington, Vermont. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we've also seen many schools go solar. And so um, this project is really building off of this uh, boom in solar to get cleaner and, and cheaper electricity for schools. Now, I know one of the things that helped, you know, from, from reading your post and and the press release about this, there was a couple of things that factors that were important and that had to do with the state providing support, allowing, you know, changing um, legislation or regulations so that you can have third-party energy providers and net metering. Do you want to talk about what those things are and why each state needs those things? Absolutely. So um, third-party energy sales and net metering are two not very sexy solar terms um, (laughs) that are really important for uh, distributed renewable energy generation. Um, And there are um, about 25 states in the country that have very specific, uh, explicit rules around um, third-party energy sales. Third-party energy sales is a way to get solar without the upfront cost of purchasing the panels yourself. Okay, good. Um, so it's a way to get buy electricity directly from um, a third-party provider. So not yourself or the utility, um, but buying solar directly from um, a third-party provider. And it's the primary way that many nonprofits across the country um, go go solar. Right, because it's not always appropriate or even possible to put solar panels on a building that exists or whatever. Yeah, and um, and it's that way you don't have to um, front the upfront capital of purchasing the panels and deal with the maintenance of the system. So well, with a third-party arrangement, you just um, you buy, buy directly buy the energy. Okay, I like it. I like it. And then talk about net metering and what that means. Sure. So net metering, I like to think of as um, rollover, <laughs> rollover solar. All right. So uh, for, a, for a system that is tied to the grid, um, when the solar system is producing more electricity than your, um, your building is consuming, you can get a credit on your bill that is carried over from month to month. 
So if you're, say, it, say you have solar on your house and you're not home and your system's producing a lot of uh, extra energy, you can sell that to the grid. And then um, when your house is demanding more energy than your system is producing, um, you, you get that back from the grid. So it's a credit, net metering is a credit on your bill. Um, how much you are paid for your electricity and um, other specifics like that are what sort of determines how good a net metering right. policy is. Right. And not all states have that, as I understand, right? Correct. Yeah. Oh, boy. But apparently these two things have, you know, are in place in North Carolina, which are helping, you know, uh, the 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 environment to be able to do these 100 percent renewable energy school districts. So we North Carolina is a state that has a net metering um, policy. It could be improved. We however, there is a, a legal gray area that effectively prevents third-party energy sales. Um, so there are a couple of ways to sort of, um, yeah, so there are, there's definitely room for improvement in our statewide policies, but there's also a way for schools to go solar now and save money in the process. They could save even more money if there were better right. policies in the state, but it's completely possible for schools uh, to go solar today. Well, and and the school districts in North Carolina that are in question, uh, there are some staggering numbers that they can save over um, twenty five years. But 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 the, but the savings start to appear almost immediately and enable the school systems to start investing in teachers and in facilities and students and curriculum and all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, you got it. So um, utilities are actually the second largest expense for schools after personnel costs. Wow. And if you think about it, that is one of the only areas where you can spend less money and contribute to a better learning environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so by spending less money on utilities, schools can uh, reinvest in the classroom. And by going solar... Um, Charlotte Mecklenburg schools could uh, save the equivalent amount of money over 25 years of about a thousand starting teacher salaries, which is huge. Yeah. Um, and uh, that also looks like about 105,000 tablets or 701,000 textbooks. So we're talking. Wow. Um, we're talking things can, that can be reinvested into the classroom and and. Um, add to the learning environment. And that's based on the current legislative and regulatory environment. If that improved, if for some reason everybody went, wait a minute, we can do better in terms of allowing, you know, better net metering or third-party sales, and that improves, that that, that number will just get better, right? Absolutely, yeah. So um, schools can see about 14 times more savings with uh, increased, uh, sorry, with, with uh, better solar energy policy in North Carolina. Wow. So the savings only, the savings only increase with better policies, but it is, in the meantime, it's possible to do it today. So I know you're focused on North Carolina, but are you aware of how much of this is going on in other states and other counties and other school districts? 
Yeah, so I, I am very much focused on North Carolina. I do know that the San Diego Unified School District has made a commitment to go um, 100% renewable. Wow. Um, and there are examples of schools, individual schools across the country with uh, solar installations. Um, so I am aware of an increasing trend yeah, yeah. in solar for schools, yeah. uh, which is really, it's really promising to, to see this happening and to think that, you know, the leaders of tomorrow will be going to school in places that are um, using really clean and, and cutting edge technologies. It's very exciting. I know a couple of the schools in my district here where I live, the county I live in in New Jersey, do have um, extensive solar installations. And uh, I don't know if they're 100 percent or and a goal to get 100 percent, but I, I think they are. And one of the things that was mentioned, I think one of the teachers or uh, there was a quote in something I read uh, relating to this about the teachers being able to actually teach kids about, you know, use the solar panels, use these installation as teaching tools in science classes and stuff. It's great curriculum, right? Yeah. So the, um, you know, schools are having an increasing uh, demand to teach science, technology, engineering, and math courses because those are very much um, jobs that are in demand. And the more that Students can have a hands-on experience, not just, you know, not just hearing about what energy is, but actually being able to monitor how much electricity their panels are producing or um, see solar in action. You get that that real um, hands-on experience in in the STEM fields. Yeah, there's just no reason not to be doing this, people. So... I encourage people to learn a little bit more about what's going on in their school districts and 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 what they can do to help facilitate more of this because more is better. Great, great work, Hannah. And I know that we're going to have a post by you on thegreendivas.com. So thank you for your time today and for your work to get this stuff going. Thanks so much for having me. If anyone is interested in learning more about Repower Our Schools, yes. you can go to repowerourschools.com. Um, you can access a report there as well as um, lots of other resources on what Repower has been up to in North Carolina and um, really encourage you to, to check that out. Thank you. I'm, gl- I'm glad you've mentioned that. I did mean to meant to bring that up because that's important. People can learn from that. All right. Thanks so much, Hannah. Thank you. Have a good day. To get active and connect with other Green Divas and Green Dudes, visit greenpeace.org slash USA. And of course, check out thegreendivas.com for more ways to live a deeper shade of green. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, (laughs) I'm really looking forward to this conversation with this filmmaker. He's a father, filmmaker, 
widower. He's an entrepreneur in internet and media technology. He's many things. But he's his inquisitiveness and his desire to protect his girls, um, his children, and and I think it's a, it's a he's made this film called Stink with an exclamation point about the chemicals in our world, and it's also I believe a beautiful tribute, a powerful tribute to his wife who died from cancer. Hi, John. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. And I want to just say this name is John Whalen. I didn't say his whole name. But we even we started chatting before. I watched the film and I was literally riveted. It's very well produced, very well put together, the story that he weaves because it's a big story. So let's go back to your obvious – well, it seems obvious, your inspiration for making this film. Well, what happened is about five years ago – I bought my daughters a pair of pajamas for Christmas. I bought them online, and when we opened up the package, they had a really strange odor. And I called the company to see if that was, you know, just to make sure they were safe, and the company completely stonewalled me. (laughs) So after several calls, I felt like I was getting the runaround. I decided to, like, what would happen if I said, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes to find out why these pajamas stink. Because I was somewhat aware of some of the loopholes that allow companies to use dodgy chemicals and not disclose them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the film really took me down the rabbit hole to understand the systemic failures. And not only the pajama stink, I learned a lot, but I found out that our system to regulate these chemicals and these products really stink. Well, I love the rat hole you go down with just trying to figure out what is in the uh, the pajamas that that started the whole thing to you know a la Michael Moore you know going into the uh, you bought a share and went into uh, the shareholders meeting to try to get to the CEO who didn't answer you otherwise right yeah and it just seems that if, if you're buying a product you have a right to know what's inside of it but these companies don't agree with that and unfortunately the law is on their side and you know even when you get to the CEO I, I don't think they really understand the issue fully in the sense that, I mean, they understand at the end of the day, they're fiduciaries to their shareholders. And they don't have to tell us what's in it. Uh, They don't, there's really no list of chemicals they can't use. So it's really the Wild West out there. It's very upsetting. And I know uh, the number somewhere around 80,000 chemicals that that I've heard, and I think it was used in your film as well, that there are about 80,000 chemicals that are being used in consumer products today and only, what, a couple hundred of them that have been really tested? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of people throw out the the 85,000 number or 60,000 or 100,000 chemicals. that's, That's not the problem necessarily. I mean, the reality is most chemicals are probably safe. But it's this small percentage of them that we know cause cancer, that can you know cause cancer right. or birth defects or disrupt hormones that they're not even regulated. So it's not that all chemicals yeah. are bad. Yeah. It's just that the ones that we know are bad, we can't get those off the market. Well, and then there's and, this whole idea of interaction. Like you really don't know that one chemical interacting with another in a certain circumstance won't be extremely toxic. Right. They're, they're not mutually exclusive. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, if you add chemical A and chemical B, we really don't know how what will happen. I mean, they're not even tested as individual chemicals for the most part. So when you're exposed to so many different chemicals, it's really hard. To, you can't find a group of people who haven't been exposed to see how we compare with them. But we do know that the rise in the last four decades of, of chemical production 
and the rise in chronic disease, there has to be some sort of correlation. And that's, that's the problem. I mean, we, 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 if we can't, I mean, I'll give you an example. Take asbestos. Asbestos has a signature disease. The only way you can get methylglioma is from asbestos, which right. is cancer. Right. And the government couldn't regulate asbestos. So if you can't regulate asbestos, you can't really regulate yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, even asbestos, you know, or cigarettes. If you smoke a cigarette today, you're not going to die today. If you're exposed to asbestos today, you're not going to die today. But in 20 years from now, you know, it, that's how long it takes to incubate. That's when the trouble starts. Right. And so with all of these different exposures, to all these different chemicals from the pretty packages we buy every day, if you knew that some of these chemicals would increase your chances of certain chronic disease or uh, deadly disease in the future, yeah. Yeah. then you'd make different decisions today. And, and that's the problem. The chemical industry doesn't want you to choose the chemicals you're exposed to. They want to choose for you. Well, and it's, so it's all about disclosure. And, and that was the, the interesting conversation you had with with that CEO in particular. He just didn't get it. you know. And he was like, well, I'm not a chemical. <laughs> and there was another conversation you had over the phone trying to investigate something where someone was just giving you the runaround. Like, well, we didn't add that chemical. And you're like, uh, okay, who did? No, the, you know, the disclosure is like nobody wants to talk about it. Right. There's a, there's a litany of loopholes that companies are taking advantage of. At the end of the day, they're not breaking the law. The law is broken. Yeah. And most people don't know that. Most people just assume if it's on the shelf that someone somewhere is watching out for them, and that's mm -hmm. not the case. Mm -hmm. And until more people know that and put pressure on these companies and put pressure on Congress and the Senate, they're not going to fix the system. I mean, no company is going, to, for the most part, fix a problem that most consumers aren't even familiar with. Uh, you know, right. you're not going to get credit in the marketplace. If you have to raise your price because you're using more healthful ingredients and your customers don't know that's a problem, well, then you have a problem. And so that's why we need to fix this, you know, look at it as a, as a systemic issue and make sure that everyone's doing the right thing so it levels the playing field, especially well, for the companies that are, that are doing the right thing. Right. You know. It is similar to the GMO fight that's going on for food labeling. It's just about giving people the right to understand what they're exposing themselves to and make that choice for themselves, an educated choice. It's about educating people about this issue so that they begin to make better choices. And I think when consumers begin to make demands, manufacturers tend to answer that. Absolutely. I mean, look at it this way. Let's say you're buying a bottle of shampoo, and there's two similar bottles. One says contains carcinogens, and one says does not contain carcinogens. Well, at least let the consumer choose. I mean, the fact that it's legal to sell shampoo with carcinogens is another problem. Yeah. But at least let the consumer make the choice instead of letting the company make the choice for us. Because most people, again, just assume that it's safe. And they, the, the pretty packaging sort of belies the, the truth about what's inside the bottle. And if you look at the celebrity endorsements and the fact that, you know, 90% of women's magazines are filled with ads for personal care yeah. and makeup, uh, I think we've we've have a false sense of security, and we've given these companies a pass. I mean, just because our grandmothers used this product doesn't mean it's good. Uh, we focus too much on the context, the pretty packaging, and don't worry about or don't think about the content, what's actually inside. But once you do, you sort of look at the, the your shopping experience at store shelf through a completely different lens. Well, you did a really nice graphic in there about the chain uh, of command and and how it all goes. It does go back to Congress and legislation, but it starts with what you buy. 
what you purchase, going back to the manufacturer. Then, of course, these trade organizations ultimately then have lobbyists that control control the legislation and regulation, which obviously doesn't exist. And I know TOXA, the Toxic uh, Substances Control Act, kind of meant well but is completely ineffective. That's right. And so, you know, when we buy a product, a portion of the, the money um, – goes to the company, and they give it to a trade association that we've never heard of. And they're the ones that hire lobbyists to lobby Congress. Right. And, you know, we're talking about a lot of money. There was a Nick Kristof piece in the New York Times a few weeks ago. And last year, for example, the chemical industry spent on average $100,000 per member of Congress to lobby. Oh, and wow. so that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And it has an impact. I mean, Congress spends half their time dialing for dollars. They want to get mm-hmm. reelected. Uh, half of Congress leaves to lobby to go to K Street. And so the system is not what we thought, and, and the playing field is not level. And so you can't tell me that if Congress knows that most consumers don't know about this issue and it's getting $100,000 a head from the chemical industry, that that doesn't have an impact on what they do? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a whole other huge issue that uh, I believe the political system we have to remove special interest money from the equation. Absolutely. I mean, that that's not a problem limited to this issue. I mean, if you take any issue, guns, you name it, it's yep. the money in politics problem yep. is there. Uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of sad that the senator who was basically, uh, is it Senator Levin from New Jersey? Lance. Lance. Uh, Congressman Lance. Congressman Lance, yes. Okay, yeah, because I didn't vote for him to be sure, is – you know, he's representing his constituents, which are manufacturers here in New Jersey. Right. And, and sort of where you where you stand depends on where you sit. He just happens to sit in New Jersey where there's a ton of these companies where 90 percent of fragrance is made. Or a lot of these personal care products are made. Yeah. And, and, and that's fine. I mean, there's a lot of good companies there, too. But again, I think that, you know, we have a moral hazard issue in the sense that because there's not a list of, of chemicals can't, companies can't use, they just use the cheapest thing they can find, yeah. and and toxic ingredients tend to be cheaper than more helpful ingredients. And, and the one thing you probably picked up in the film, in Europe, there's 1,400-something chemicals you yeah. can't use in a personal care product. Yeah. And here in the United States, the list is 11. <laughs> so you can't tell us our science is different when you cross the pond. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. our political system, to some extent, is different, just the interpretation and the regulations. So in the, in the United States and Europe, our systems are very different. In Europe... They have something called the precautionary principle, which is just a fancy way of saying common sense. And if a chemical is suspected to be bad, then they stop using it. But in America, our system is very different. A chemical is innocent until proven guilty, and guilt yeah. is virtually impossible to establish, and therefore nothing really gets banned. Well, I know I noticed that you had Jennifer Sass uh, from the NRDC, one of the scientists from the NRDC, and we've interviewed her a couple of times. Love her. And she said the data, you know, the not doing the precautionary system leads to the fact that data only comes then in a body bag. <laughs> Basically, you don't know until people are dying and sick and, and, and it's too late. That's how you know. Right. It, it's kind of like if we're only 99% certain that climate change is real, uh-huh. well, let's wait till we're 100% certain. Yeah, I and I, in one of, the, one of the hearings, a lobbyist for the American Chemistry Council said that their system is better than the precautionary principle because their system is bulletproof because they wait for certainty. Well, if you wait to be 100% sure that something causes cancer, 
the only way you can tell that you're right is if you get cancer. Yeah. So it doesn't seem like it's a very wise system. Yeah. And I think that if most people uh, understood and, and they, they stripped out all the fancy names and just called it what it is, common sense, that people would side with common sense and not the chemical industry. Well, and it's sort of like that young man that you followed who has such a strong, he has an anaphylactic response to Axe and, and maybe other things, but Axe in particular, that cologne that young, you know, tween boys tend to use or whatever, little school boys, which, by the way, I have a terrible reaction to also. So I really paid attention to this young guy's dilemma, and the company will not help him by disclosing what's in there so that the doctors can figure out exactly what he's reacting to. Right. I mean, it's in America, a company's right to chemical secrecy is, supersedes our right to know what's in the products we buy. And, and that's one of the things that needs to change in this country, because if companies had to disclose everything that was in a product, they'd make different and better choices about what they sold, and then consumers would be empowered to make better choices about what they buy. Well, I was really struck by the fact that this young man couldn't go to school because inevitably somebody had this stuff on and he would go into shock and go into the hospital. And I think in, in one scene, he does try to go back to school and you all end up following him to the hospital where he's you know, had to have an EpiPen and, and has to go to the emergency room. I'm appalled by the priorities. Yeah, and I mean that's someone who has an extreme reaction. What about the exposures to kids who are sitting in the classroom that we don't know that are happening today yeah. but won't really manifest until tomorrow, Right. years from now? Right. I mean you can't turn back the clock. Yeah, yeah. The and the, and the, the frustrating thing is the companies that we support, the companies that are perceived as good, they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to oppose legislation that would require manufacturers to disclose the ingredients in their products. And it, it really, it, it, yeah, and there are too many people that are getting sick that really could be helped by understanding what, you know, and making choices to avoid certain things. Maybe some chemicals don't bother certain people. I don't know. But if they do, I know I have asthma, which I never, I, I haven't smoked in 26 years. Um, I'm fairly healthy in every other way, I, whatever, I exercise, all of it. But something's something's bugging me out. And uh, I've got to believe, and I am very chemically sensitive now. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things, you know, in the 70s growing up there, every room smelled like smoke, right? Yeah, yeah. And so now, you know, smoke is, smoking is banned in a lot of places, so you don't have that smoke smell. But what we have now is artificial odors. I mean, yeah. fragrance has become a condiment for every product category because yeah. products compete on their scent. And there's a complete disconnect between... You know, the imagery on the bottle, it's called a, a vanilla bean, and the way it's described, vanilla-flavored, you know, scented shampoo, yeah. and the reality of the chemicals used to create the illusion of vanilla. Because they don't have to disclose the ingredients, there's not real vanilla in there. There's likely the cheapest concoction of chemicals that smells something like vanilla. Yeah, ironically, we used to have a con I live in New Jersey and uh, grew up in a, in a town that had uh, right next to the town, a chemical company that made sense, and you would smell the whole town would smell like like caramel or vanilla was one of the things and and it was all chemicals can't have been good for all of us <laughs> to be no. smelling. I have survived thus far, and i I just for one really think everybody should see this film, and I know it's coming out as of today. I'll tell people how they can find the film. Sure. Uh, there'll be more screenings throughout the country, but on demand, Stink is available on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, Vudu, Vimeo. 
Wow. So it's, and then there's be more added at stinkmovie.com. It's awesome. It's really, really, I think it's worth it and important because the more educated we become and the more we demand and we use our, our vote in the political system you know, to ask our, our candidates and our congresspeople to please pay attention to this stuff, the more that we push that, the more that the manufacturers will eventually have to uh, step up. And the other thing is to start to choose products that you know are clean, which they're hard to find, but they're, they're there. There's a lot of them now. And I know EWG, for instance, Environmental Working Group, I don't know if you all have any kind of lists of toxic-free products that you recommend, but I know that EWG has several that are pretty worthwhile. Yes, and we're going to be adding a resource section to the site this week, but um, yeah, you're right. I mean, like EWG, for example, their Skin Deep database, you can look up a product that you're currently using, see what's good about it, see what's maybe bad about it, make recommendations for something that's, that's yep. safer, but, but I think at the end of the day, most people aren't advocating for extreme lifestyle changes. You know, if you have a product and maybe it's not the greatest product, but you love it and you want to make changes in other areas, that's great too. But it's it's all about just understanding, having the information, and then you sort of controlling your own destiny instead exactly. of you know the companies manipulating us. Yeah, yeah. Well, John, I appreciate your taking time to talk to us, and and I appreciate that you've done this film. I'm looking forward to sharing it with my family this week. Thank so you. Uh, I hope we'll talk again as uh, things evolve. Good luck with everything. Sounds great. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on your show. You've been listening to the Green Divas radio show. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcast on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, Swell Radio, and Spreaker. Get social with the Green Divas on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Subscribe to the Green Divas YouTube channel to watch them in action. And for all the latest good green news, visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. 